Well, we're doing a series called Future Leader, and uh, Future Leader means this. At some point, you will be uh, called upon to lead uh, something. At some point, you will have to lead something in your family, in your relationships, in your work, uh, in your neighborhood. You're going to have to lead something. And why not be prepared and be the leader that God has made you to be? And that's the series we're doing for the next few weeks. And today I'm teaching on a story that you may have heard of. It's called David and Goliath. Has anyone ever heard this story before? It might be the most popular story in the Bible besides Jesus. Like people go, there's Jesus, there's the ark, and how do they get all the animals on there? That seems like a logistics nightmare. And then there's David and Goliath. These are like the top three stories, David and Goliath. And people love the story of David and Goliath. Maybe you like the story of David and Goliath. And why do we love this story? Well, it's something called an archetype story. Have you heard that term? It's an archetype. It's an archetype of story. It is the planet Earth's quintessential big versus small. It's the underdog story of all underdog stories. You got David, who's a teenager, and you've got Goliath, who is this big bad dude. Right? You know the story. And, and if you don't know the story, that's basically it. A kid fights an adult, and the kid wins. It's an underdog story. It's a good underdog story. This is, in fact, the Hollywood playbook. This is the playbook for nearly every Hollywood movie. I mean, what is your favorite underdog uh, David and Goliath movie, movie? Do you have one? You could shout it out. Pee-wee's Big Adventure. I did not see that coming. <laughs> I was going to say Captain America. <laughs> you got, thank, you, thank you. I don't want to discourage other people from participating. I'm so glad you, were the, you demonstrated courage and you went first. Uh, does anyone else have a, one they want to run? run to? All kids sports movies. Yes. The Mighty Ducks. That's right. Emilio Estevez, right? And they quack, quack, quack. And they form the flying V. I love it. Yeah, come on. Give me one more. Do we have another one? Underdog story. Dave and Glenn. Dodgeball. It's called Dodgeball, an underdog story. Well done, Bo. One more. (laughs) Cool runnings. That's right. These Jamaicans don't even know what snow is. And they decide to hire John Candy to help them go all the way to Canada and use a bobsled. And by the way, every four years when the Winter Olympics comes out, I root for the Jamaican bobsled team. By the way, you remember the rich boy from... Uh, the, the, the kid that was rich and his dad didn't want him to be on the bobsled team. I actually met him here in Los Angeles. That's my biggest win. Anyway, I'm losing you. I'm losing you. Okay, yeah, so uh, underdog David and Goliath stories. Uh, probably one of the most famous, the highest grossing movie, Christmas movie of all time, Home Alone. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, I wrote my notes, Legally Blonde, but I don't know what that means. Is that a good underdog story? Okay, cool. Anyway. <laughs> I don't know, but I like your outfit. <laughs> so, one of the things that we learn, one of the things that we learn from David and Goliath is this. Uh, it teaches us about courage, okay? In all those examples in, uh, that, I, that we talked about with movies and in the story of David and Goliath, we see something about courage. And here's what I know about you, and here's what I know about me. In the future, at some point, you will have to make a decision that will require courage. And at some point, you will be in a situation where you will need to stand up for what is right. And it's going to require courage. 
And in that moment, courage is going to be required of you. And when you demonstrate courage, it helps validate your leadership. Now, you don't need necessarily courage to be a leader, but if you want to be a leader who is worth following, you will probably have to demonstrate courage. Does that make sense? So uh, and who do we attribute courage to? Well, my dad is a retired firefighter, and my brother is a battalion chief in firefighting. I did not go into the firefighting business with my family. I went uh, into a different kind of work. Um, I was going to make a joke about fire insurance, but I don't want to do that because it's not, I don't want to talk about hell. Um, what I'm saying, <laughs> what I'm saying, and so, but when my brother and my dad do things to help other people, when they run into a burning building and they save everyone, which they both have stories of doing, which is incredible. I, they're like my heroes. I look up to them. When they do that, you don't call them courageous before they go into the building. You call them courageous after they went into the building and demonstrated courage. And that's what I need you to hear a little bit in this as we get started. We don't attribute courage to you and your leadership until you do something that's courageous. And so there's something about having to act. And that in that tension, I think, is what we discover some tools that we can uh, learn from, from David and Goliath's story. Um, and here's what we know about leadership. Courage is required for leadership. So if you want to become a leader who's worth following, you have to demonstrate courage. And so we're going to take a look at this uh, in 1 Samuel 17. This is in the Old Testament of the Bible. This is the story of David and Goliath. And it's such a long story, I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. So I'm just going to give you little bits of it, and then I'm going to fill in the story in between. Uh, and I'll try to make it as interesting as possible. So in 1 Samuel 17, verse 8... Um, we read this, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your servants. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. And so this is very uncommon. There's two sides. There's the Israelites, the Jewish people. That's David's side. And then there's the Philistines. That's Goliath's side. Now, what these two countries did is they hated each other. And they would come meet for battle. And so you, you can imagine there's a valley. And on one side, you've got Goliath's team. And on the other side, you've got David's team. And King, King Saul was the, was the king at this time. And so in the middle, what you would do is you'd run down into the middle, and you have thousands of people who would clash, and they would fight, and they would kill each other with swords and bows and arrows and spears and all kinds of things. And so what Goliath does here in this moment is very uncommon. He goes, listen, don't, don't, like, let's, let's stop all the bloodshed. Why don't you just send down one person as a representative for you, and I'll be the representative for our side. We'll meet in the middle, and one of us will die, but most of you can go back to your family and your friends, and you can live to fight another day, or we could. So we can stop bloodshed. We can just have two people duke it out, and then that will be the result. And then the other will have economic leverage over the other country. This is a better deal. You should take this. And they're all like, yeah, but look at you. You're like 10 feet tall. Well, we learned about Goliath. He's a big dude. He's been a, he was an experienced, battle-hardened warrior since he was a child. 
He grew up to be 10 feet tall. And they have, like, in different parts of these verses, they have the weight of his spear and his shield. Would, it weighed a lot. It was, like, very heavy and very sharp and big, and he would probably kill you. So they are very, like, okay, yeah, okay, you want to do a hand-to-hand combat and we have to fight you? You're, like, this massive army hero. How, do, how, how, why would we even do this? So we read on in verse 10. It says, then the Philistine said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And it says, on hearing this, on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. I mean, wouldn't you be? Like, who's your favorite big NFL player? Do you have one? Shaq is an NBA player. (laughs) NBA. Okay, cool. Uh, Let me rephrase the question. Who's your favorite big NBA player? (laughs) Love your outfit. Okay. So, like, what for, like, a billion dollars, Shaq comes down and he's like, uh, choose this day who will play me one-on-one, and the winner will win a billion dollars. Like, that would be very discouraging for you, given your size and age. Uh, <laughs> and that wouldn't be fun for you, because you're like, man, Shaq is so big, and he owns Papa John's, basically, and he's got... And he's like, you know, and he has his hand in rent-a-center money and all this stuff. There's no way I could beat it. And that's, that's what these Israelites are experiencing. They're like, yeah, we get the concept. Let's just send one of us down. But like, who's going to fight this guy? It's an impossible task. It's impossible. I don't want to die. And I don't want to be the guy, not just because I don't want to die, but maybe I don't want to let my team down. Like, there's no way. And so it says that they're totally dismayed and they're discouraged. Enter our hero of the story, David. Now, David was just a teenager at this time. And this interesting thing is this. David was sent to the battle lines, not to fight, not to, like, get in Saul's face. The only reason he was there was because his dad sent him with a cart of groceries. David was doing Instacart before anybody else is doing Instacart. So basically how this works is, if you join the U.S. military, and, and uh, a shout out to all of our veterans here today, uh, if you were in the U.S. military, the U.S. military provides food and shelter for you, okay? But if you were in an ancient Israel, Israeli army, uh, you didn't provide, the food wasn't provided by the king or whatever. What you had to do is get your family to bring you supplies to the front line. That's how you stayed fed. That's how you got new clothes. If you needed something like a new weapon, that's how you got your new weapon. So each family supported and supplied everything to the, to the warriors. And so that's what's happening here because David had a bunch of older brothers. David was like the youngest of 12 people. And so all his older brothers are at the battle. They're lined up. And Jesse, David's dad, says, go bring them some cheese and some milk, literally. And he put it in the Instacart and go, go bring the groceries to the front line. So he's walking with the groceries. And he gets to the front, and he's dropping it off, and he hears Saul say, I defy the armies of Israel, fee fi fo fum, send me out an Israeli Oman, and we'll fight, and we'll see what happens. And he hears this, and he gets really mad. He gets really upset. And then David, he gets so mad and upset, he goes to the king, King Saul, and this is what he says. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on the count of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, and rightly so. I mean, he's he's kind of a smart king for now. 
You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it and struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine, I feel like that's an unnecessary fact. Uh, the uncircum, like I, the status of, you know, it's, it seems like a weird time to bring it up. So, okay, the uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And after that little speech, Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Now, I want to talk about a couple things here that we need to hear about courage. What is courage not? And you read this and you're like, oof, you already have the answer behind you. Uh, what is courage not? You need to understand that courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is when we choose to move forward even though we might be experiencing fear, even though we might be experiencing anxiety. And David demonstrates this incredible faith and courage in the face of probable death. Yes, he's putting his best foot forward, but also fears are a realistic part of courage. His, and what we see, though, his past experiences with God and his past experiences with the lion and the bear uh, actually made him okay with his present circumstances. And he mentions how God spared him from the lion and the bear. And there's two things you really do need to see here, and I need to learn for myself. The first is you need to hear that sometimes in courage, like, it's okay to be scared. And it's okay to be a little afraid. And if you're experiencing in your current situation, in your circumstance, if you need to demonstrate courage for the big thing that you have to do in your life, and you feel a little nervous, if you feel scared, that's okay. Because that doesn't mean you lack courage. It means you have to, courage means something different. You have to move forward in spite of what you're feeling. And choosing, choosing to do the right thing, even though you're nervous or scared, that's an important part of understanding the complexity of courage. But the second thing, the way we develop courage the way we develop courage and we step forward and do the hard thing is that we look into our past and we remember God's faithfulness. This is what David did. He said, I was saved from the lion. I was saved from the bear. And that's what you do too. And sometimes we get so focused on the present and in the future and we allow our anxieties to kind of run the day for us that we forget to take time and reflect all that God has done for us. Do you know that God has brought you through some terrible things and you have come out the other side and you can stand on the faithfulness of God because his resume with you is good. What he's done with you in the past was good. And the way you do this is you remember. You say, God, help me to remember what you've brought me through. You take time and you reflect on the faithfulness of God. So courage is not just the absence of fear. There's one other thing that courage is not. Before we get into what courage is, courage is not carelessness. Courage is not being careless. Now, in the story, David has this little speech, and he's like, Saul, send me. 
And Saul's like, you can't do it. You're a boy. And he's like, yes, I can. And then Saul says, go ahead. Right after that, Saul does him a favor. And he does this. He gives him his armor and he gives him his weapons. And if you imagine you're the king, you probably have good body armor and you probably have great weapons. So he's like, okay, if you're going to do this, you know, I don't want to be the guy that didn't supply you with a couple of weapons and some good armor. So go ahead. Here, this is the best we have. Because I'm the king, I get the best stuff. You know, I don't know if he had like a bedazzled dual sword or something. Uh, I don't know how you imagine, Saul. Uh, but um, I don't know what he gave him exactly. They have, they, we know it's a bronze helmet and, and so on. Um, and so here's, here's what happens in that exchange. And this is interesting because this is not being careless. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. And then it says, I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took a staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. David was not careless. He was careful. He was attuned to his strengths and his weaknesses. And he did not put himself in a bad position, even though there was pressure from the king for him to do what the king wanted. He did something that was not careless. And in this situation, someone was offering him their best, but it would have been a careless mistake because he did not understand how to use those kinds of weapons. Um, do you understand what I'm saying there, that how that important this is? Um, for example, I have a friend, his name is Christian Summers, and he's a vineyard pastor. And this guy is nuts. So when we go to, um, when we go to an event, like say, like a retreat with other pastors, with the vineyard uh, church pastors, and they rent a VRBO or an Airbnb, Christian Summers evaluates how much he likes the Airbnb by how close the backyard roof is to the deep end of the swimming pool that we rent. Because undoubtedly, at every event, he climbs on the roof and does like a flip off of the roof of the house that we rented into the deep end of the pool. And we all are like, yeah, that's pretty great. That's so awesome. And we laugh and we all joke around. I don't get to do that. That's not my skill set. Uh, <laughs> I'm in charge of the music. <laughs> and, and we go, wow. And here's the thing. I think a lot of people th think of Christian, and, oh, and I, I love this guy. Man, we should have him come here and speak. He's great. He might do a somersault off the thing. Um, I, I like Christian, but a lot of people think that that's what courage is. That it's, I'm crazy. I'll just do anything. I don't think about the consequences. I'm, I like being careless, and I throw caution to the wind. And many of us, Many of us look at courage that way, and we either dive right in, or we fail, or we're so uncomfortable with ourselves that we never take time to really think through what we actually need to survive, to thrive. And leaders who are being courageous have to take risks, undoubtedly, but leaders are not careless because they know and understand and operate within their strengths. You see this in the story of David. Thank you for all the cool gear, but no thank you. I need to stick with what I know. And here's what I know about you. When I look around this room, God has given each of you unique gifts. There's nobody like you. 
You are one of a kind. There is no one like you. No one has your gifts and no one has your skill set. You are uniquely made. So you got to use them. You have to use the things that God has given you. And the way you begin to do that is you pray. You say, you know, God, I want to operate within my skill set. Help me to do that. And when you do that, you, um, you actually do better. And that's what we see in the story of David. You've got a guy that says, I'm going to forsake all the big stuff, and I'm going to work with my little slingshot. And my, I'm going to go find five smooth stones. I know I need stones. I'm going to go get those. And you have your slingshot. And you have your stones. And when you need to step up and be courageous and demonstrate courage, and when you need to stand up for what's right, and when you need to make a difficult decision, say, hey, you can't be doing this at my workplace, or when you need to say something that's an unhealthy relationship with someone in your family, you don't have to do it the way I do it or the neighbor around you does it. God has uniquely gifted you with your slingshot with your stones to enter into your situation and to not be careless, but to operate within the strengths that you have. Does this make sense? Can I move on? All right, good. Can I move on, actually? All right, cool. All right, cool. I didn't actually ask. <laughs> okay. All right, so what do we have here? So then there's the epic face-off. So David goes, he's got the stones, he's got the slingshot, and um, he goes up, and uh, da uh, David is like, I'm ready to roll, and Goliath is like, ha, 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 you're going to die. And he's, why would you send a guy like this down? This is a boy. I'm going to slaughter this guy. He's like, all right, come on, boy. And before you know it, uh, David whips up this stone, and he hurls a stone at Goliath, and he hits him between the eyes, and he kills him, or at least he incapacitates him. And this is like unreal. And so then he runs up and then, because um, uh, Goliath's on the ground, and he uh, finishes the job. And this is what we read in verse 51. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. And the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. And what I'd like to do is lay out, there are different forms that courage is probably going to take for you. If you want to be a leader who's worth following, if you want to demonstrate courage, if I want to demonstrate courage as a leader, there's four common ways that courage is often expressed. And we get this in these verses. And the first one is here. It is called vulnerability. Vulnerability. What is vulnerability? It's uncertainty. It's risk. It's emotional exposure. And seriously, guys, sometimes people think that being vulnerable is a weakness and it's not a part of leadership. I don't believe that, and we don't see that in the scriptures. Sometimes being a leader requires you to be courageous and to be vulnerable. There will always be a level of uncertainty in the difficult choices that you have to make. No one is 100% certain on their choices. This is hard. And David was putting himself out there. He's like, don't let this Philistine talk to you this way. I'll go fight him. But he was not 100% certain. There was risk involved. He was being vulnerable. For those of you, this is, this is a, and for those of you who are married or will be married very shortly, marriage is a risk. And marriage requires courage. Because, like, you get to know the person and you think you have your best 
you think you have your best understanding of this person, but really there's still some vulnerability involved. You never get to 100%. And, and I think that that's important, that if you're going to lead and if you're going to have courage, at some point there's going to be risk involved. And that means sometimes being willing to say, I don't know. Like, I don't know the answer. I really do think if you can demonstrate courage and say, I don't know, I'm, I don't know, or I'm not sure, or you could actually communicate, I messed this up, or I'm willing to fail and look like a fool in order to see a breakthrough. Well, courage not only requires vulnerability, courage also requires saying no. A lot of times people are like, oh, courage, you just got to say yes to everything. Well, sometimes it requires saying no. What do I mean? Think about your life. You have a vision for what your life, what you want it to look like. What you want it to look like this afternoon, maybe in five years, maybe in 10 years. You know, to some extent, what you're called to do, who God has made you to be. And that's awesome. But in order to do the thing that God has called you to do, in order for you to become the thing that God has made you, uh, made, made you to be, the way he's made you to be, sometimes it means you have to have the courage to say no. You can't say yes to everything. And in the story of David, we see that he had to say no to the forces of evil and the Philistines who were opposing him. But we also see that he had to say no to the king. Now, if the president of the United States came to you and offered you something, but you realized it wasn't going to work for you, would you not feel an immense amount of pressure to say yes to the president of the United States? That's the situation here. David demonstrated not only courage to say, no, Goliath, you're not going to talk to the living God this way. We're going to fight. I'm going to fight you in a minute. I just need to clear it with Saul. And then Saul goes, here, where's my sword? Where's my armor? And so I know you're the king of Israel. You could kill me if you wanted to. I have to say no to you too. And sometimes in our life, you are going to face pressures. And you're going to want to be courageous. But in order to be courageous, there's going to be pressures on you that are going to kind of come into the vision that you have. In order to stay laser focused on what you want to do with your life or what God is leading you to do with your life, you may have to say no to things. You may have to say no so you can stay focused on what God has called you to do. Does this make sense? Sometimes courage means saying no. And I have a feeling that in the next one to two years, each of us, including myself, we are going to probably have to make a significant decision to say no to something, to demonstrate courage by saying no. And that's hard because we're going to feel the pressure. We're going to feel social pressure. We're going to maybe feel familial pressure. And we have to, though. Sometimes when we're laser focused, courage means saying no. Now, last thing is four common ways that courage is often expressed is facing the current reality. Actually, this is number three, uh, facing the current reality. Courage means facing the current reality. David had to face his current reality. And in a different part of the story, like I said, we see that the armor was given to him, and he had to get super clear. This is different than saying no, but David had to get super clear about what he was good at. He knew how to use a slingshot. He didn't know how to use a sword. Some of us need to get clear about our current reality. I know so many people, and you know so many people, we are not living in reality. We are living with our head in the clouds, or we're living with a fantasy about who we are, rather than actually who we are. Do you understand? You understand what I'm saying here? 
the careless advisor in your life will tell you things like, if you dream it, you can achieve it. Now, I like that. I like Walt Disney quotes. I like, you know, I like how Steve Jobs would like, there would be no product, and he would just like see it, and he's like, no, we're going to do it. And like, it would somehow happen. Like, I like that. If you, if you believe it, you can achieve it kind of garbage. I love it. <laughs> but like, is that always true? If you believe it, can you achieve it? Is that like always true? Well, not really. Let me give you an example. As, as much as I believe that I could play in the NFL this fall, I don't think my body would physically survive it. Okay? I can believe it all I want, but it's just made up. It's just fiction. It's not like living in reality. My weekend reality is a weekend pickleball player. <laughs> and that's what I have to live with. My body isn't built for the NFL. It's built for uh, friendly games of pickleball with my friends. What am I saying? What am I saying? You have to be honest about your current reality. You have to be honest about your finances where they actually are. And some of you have to be honest, like actually what's really going on in that relationship and your skill set. The greatest example I think we've ever gotten was probably when American Idol first came on the air and they always used to do the auditions and all these people would come forward and they'd be like, I'm a good singer. And Simon was like, no, y'all not. There was no, they were not grounded in reality. And it's the same for us. You have you have to be grounded in reality. That is part of being courageous. And sometimes it means assessing yourself and being like, I'm good at this and I'm not good at that. I can do this. I probably can't do that. And you need to be honest and you need to say things like, do I have the resources to make this decision? Do I have the connections and the friends who can help me along the way? How am I wired? How am I designed? Am I living within my design? It's a huge part of being a leader and operating within courage. David did that. David lived in that tension, and I think you and I have to as well. Last thing, four common ways that courage is often expressed is dreaming. Dreaming. Now, sometimes we don't dream because if we don't dream big, then we don't lose big. We don't have the potential of losing big. We're afraid of what our peers might think if we dream big. We're afraid of being criticized or mocked or being made fun of. But David had a dream for the future of Israel, and I don't think you can have courage without some kind of dream in place. And at some point, there's going to be risk, but hey, at least you're in the arena. You understand what I'm saying? Are you following? Are you tracking? Like, another way to put it is that if your dream doesn't require courage, if your dream doesn't require vulnerability, the fact that you might have to face your current reality then maybe you don't have a dream because big dreams do require courage and small dreams don't because small dreams are certain. Big dreams require you to be okay with a level of uncertainty. That's just a part of the deal. Every, yeah, just every, every big decision or every big dream that you know, my wife and I have had, there's a risk. And there's criticism. 
I just don't know how you can get out of that. Like if your dream is big enough, people are going to poop on it for a minute. They're going to, or they're going to talk behind your back, or they're going to go, oh, wow. You know, that, you know the look? Oh, yeah, it's really interesting. And that's going to be hard, but that's a part of it. So as we close, uh, I just want to say uh, that in order for you to realize the dream that God has put on your heart, for your family, for your life, for your church, you're not gonna, you're, you will face criticism prob- probably along the way. Um, but I have a really good quote from a former president, um, and his name is Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, maybe some of you have heard this quote. I think it's a fantastic quote. Um, I don't know his faith status, but I do think it really helps put it in perspective. I'm going to read it to you. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man or woman who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and who at worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly." Um, if you want to become a leader who's worth following, you're going to need courage. And you will need to step into the arena, whether it's a singular decision or whether it's a course or a, a set of decisions, a course of decisions that you need to make. You will need to step into the arena. And what I want you to hear, and now, now Teddy painted it perfectly, you're going to have to step into the arena and you may feel alone, but the truth is for those of us who follow Jesus, we are not alone. We are not alone because, hey, listen, there's people around you who are in the arena with you, and I'm in the arena with you. And most importantly, what you need to hear is that Jesus himself is in the arena with you. And Jesus is in the arena because he went before us. He had a vision to heal the world. He had a vision to take care of people who could not take care of themselves and to heal his relationship with you and me and every person that's ever lived. And Jesus is in the arena because he demonstrated immense courage by laying down his life, being willing to die in our place to make things right with him again. He is our source and our inspiration for courage. David was good, but Jesus was great at this. And he did something that no one else can do. So you are not alone in this. You're not alone in this process because Jesus himself is with you in the arena. And since Jesus rose from the dead, what we believe is that since Jesus rose from the dead, he has all the power in the world to give you to make the decisions that you need to make to have courage in the moment that you find yourself in right now, the places and with the people that you need to demonstrate courage. Uh, and, he, and, and so I just want to end like this. Um, I think I've just tried to do a hype for, uh, for how God wants to empower you to have courage. 
And I think it would be in our best interest to ask him to give us courage for the things that we need to ask him for courage for. Does that make sense? So can we do that? Can we just, can we try that together? I, I believe that God's in the room, that he's with us, that he wants, for your situation, he wants to do something for you this morning. So can we try that? Do I have enough head nods? Okay, we have 51% head nods. Let's do it. Why don't we all stand? So we're going to worship, but um, we're going to do a, a mental, emotional, and spiritual exercise right now. And I'm going to try to make, as, as odd as doing spiritual things in a room is, I'm going to try to make this as naturally supernatural as possible. What I want you to do is if you... Um, if you want to ask God for courage for something that you need right now, I have something, so I'm going to, I'm going to do it so we can do it together. Um, what I want you to do is just have that in your mind right now. And what I want to do is invite God to start to fill you with either thoughts or memories of his faithfulness or things that you need to hear. And what I believe is that even in this moment, like, God can break through into your mind and into your heart and tell you things that you need to hear so that you have the courage to do what you're supposed to do. Do you, do you see where we're going with this? And so if that's you, I, I want to encourage you to open your hands like this. Other people are going to be doing it. And guess what? There's nothing magical about it. It's an outward sign of an inward expression where we go, God, I want your courage. I've got a, I have a decision. I have to talk to this person about this thing. Hey, listen, there's something not right happening in this group of friends or whatever. God, I need to know, should I say something or how do I say something? So if that's you, let's just wait. And so God, I ask that you would come right now, that you would uh, begin to speak to people's hearts and minds. Maybe you would begin to give them courage. I ask God that in all the ways that they need to remember your faithfulness this past week, this past year, the past decade, that you would begin to fill them uh, with those memories. And so God, uh, as we worship, I ask God that you would speak to us, that you would give people courage, that they would step out, that they would get real about their circumstances, that they wouldn't be careless, God, that you would help them to say no where they need to say no. So God, be with us in this time as we sing uh, and give us the courage we need. Let's worship one more time together.